You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Great to be with you guys. Uh, Next week, we're going to be starting a brand new message series called The Hope of Heaven. You uh, all likely have had somebody in maybe even in the last few years that has passed away and you wonder what's heaven going to be like. Uh, Recently, my wife and I uh, um, went back to Little Rock, Arkansas and uh, had a memorial service for her father. And she asked me in his uh, kind of final day, she said, what kind of message should I share with him? This is prior to uh, his, his uh, departure. And I said, share with him about heaven. And she, we, she, we got into the Word, and we got some good resources, and we started exploring about the hope of heaven. And so this message series, uh, it's interesting. I talked to a senior pastor, a friend of mine, a mentor. Uh, he's been pastoring for 37 years. I said, hey, you have any good message resources for heaven? I've got some books. Randy Alcorn's written some great books, uh, written some great books. Uh, but do you have any messages? And he says, in the last 37 years, I've taught two times on the subject. And I thought, wow, we're going to spend eternity there, right? I kind of want to know what heaven's like. Um, So I want to encourage you, uh, school's about to start back, and uh, this would be a great time for you to invite a friend. We're going to be doing this uh, message series to kick off kind of the new school year. Um, I hope that you're going to grow tremendously as a result of it uh, in your faith and your love for uh, Jesus Christ and, and the life that he's called you to here and now, but in the life to come as well. As well, I want to say uh, I'm praying for you moms and dads that are sending their students back to school. Um, I'm going to have a special prayer for you guys. I want to pray uh, uh, for you in just a moment. Uh, I know for my kids, I got two kids, uh, twins. One's going to Sandra Day O'Connor, the other one's to Barry Goldwater, and uh, they're going to be freshmen. And so uh, to all you moms and dads out there with freshman kids going into high school, for all of us who can remember what our freshman year is like, the little fish in the big pond, it's a big deal. Uh, I wrote a little blog article that I'm going to send out to our church just to encourage uh, how to stay fresh in your freshman year uh, for parents to encourage their kiddos going into their freshman year. I want to make sure that uh, you, have, you know that's coming this week. So let me pray for you guys and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today's word that you have for us uh, out of the Gospels. I pray, Father, uh, for uh, the upcoming weeks as we look at uh, kind of this back-to-school season where a lot of the families uh, and are getting their kids back engaged and over a third of our church is children and youth. And so, Lord, I pray for us as a church that we'd be faithful to reach out, to share, and to show the love of Jesus inviting them to church, inviting them to be a part of what you're doing here at North Valley, to be encouraged, to be edified, to be built up. Uh, Lord, we pray as well for all the students going on to their uh, campuses this coming week. We pray for all the Deer Valley Unified School District, the teachers, the administrators. uh, uh, We pray for the families and specifically for those students. God, might it be a great year, a safe year, a strong year for them. We love this community. We thank you, God, for the kids that are involved in our church and in our community. We pray that you'd give us a great platform to influence them for the name and fame of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right. Well, hey, guys, I heard a funny story the other day. Uh, uh, Somebody called into the church office and said, can I speak to the 
head hog at the trough. And the secretary was offended and she said, if you mean the pastor, then you need to refer to him as the pastor. But you may not call him the head hog at the trough. And the man said, okay, that's fine. I was just planning on giving $10,000 to the building fund. And the secretary replied, said, hold on, Porky just walked in. (laughs) Oh, man. Hey, today I want to talk to you and teach you about what God has to say about managing money and wealth according to Jesus. So open your Bible or open up your Bible app and uh, get to the New Testament. That's the backside of your Bible. Uh, It's there on your app. You can find uh, the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a physician and he wrote wrote with great detail. He was also a historian and he records Jesus' best teachings that we're going to be looking at today, in my opinion. When it comes to uh, money, it's interesting, uh, Jesus talked a great deal about money. In fact, uh, 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the, gos- in, in the Gospels, an amazing uh, one out of 10, uh, one out of 10 verses, that's 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500, listen, 500 verses on prayer, uh, less than 500 on faith, but more than 2,000 on money and possessions. So Jesus has a lot to say about it. So we're going to look at what does Jesus have to say about money and wealth. Uh, Interestingly enough, in my research this last week, I found out... uh, Sociologists have discovered and, uh, that 80% of our waking time, 80% of our waking time is spent upon thinking about money. 80% of our time. So it's a big deal. Well, what are we thinking about? We think, how do we earn more? How do we spend the money that we do have? And then how do we keep it or save it? 80% of our time. So it's no wonder Jesus would spend so much time talking about wealth and possessions. Today I'm going to teach you the parable of the dishonest manager. That's what it's been labeled in your Bible. We're going to be looking at the English Standard Version of the Bible, and I'll be walking through this passage and giving you some practical application. In Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, is where we're going to start. He says, he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Let me point out a few things on that passage. The target audience is the disciples. Jesus is teaching followers of Jesus. Uh, The word disciple means a learner, a student. So Jesus has got a lesson that we're going to learn about And some people say this is a fictional story. Some people say, no, it could be a real story. It could be a real uh, case study that Jesus is presenting to his disciples. But nonetheless, there's a couple characters in the introduction of this story. There was a rich man, there's a rich man who had a manager. And the charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. 
Interestingly enough, Jesus had just told a story about the prodigal son who had wasted an inheritance. Now he's talking about, in Luke chapter 16, about a manager who's wasting away the resources of his master. Verse 2, and he called him and said, so the master calls the manager, verse 2, and he called him and said, what is that, what is this that I hear about you? In other words, what are you doing? I heard you're wasting my resources. Turn in the account of your management, for you are no longer, you, you can no longer be manager. In other words, you forfeited your right. You've either, we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, either he's mismanaged the funds or he's wasted, extravagantly spent. Nobody knows. But nonetheless, whatever action he took, it calls for termination of his position. Verse 3, and the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? You ever been in that position before where your boss said, pack up your stuff, you're going to have to head out for one reason or another, the company downsizes, or you just weren't a good fit for the job. He's starting to panic. The manager's freaking out. What shall I do? My master's taking the management away from me. I am not strong enough to dig and I'm not, and I am ashamed to beg. He wasn't physically strong enough. He didn't want, he was working literally in a white collar kind of context. Now he's being forced to resign immediately and he doesn't want to do manual labor. He doesn't want to beg. And so he says, hmm, what am I going to do? We capture in verse four, a great little moment of kind of behind the scenes, his thought process. Watch this in verse four. He says, I know I've decided what to do. So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Now, what's he talking about? He's saying he's got a ha- he can't. He was quick on his feet. He's got a plan. He knows he's getting fired. He knows he's got to resign from his management position. He's going to be out of a job and out of a home too. Likely in those days, people that were serving for large estate owners lived on the property, and this would mean you need to move out of the casita and you're on your own. So this guy, not only if you've ever lost a job, you know how stressful that is, but what about moving? That's really stressful. This guy is up a creek. He's thinking to himself, but he's got a plan. So what's the plan? We're going to look at what's called the discount plan. He's a pretty sharp guy. Watch what he does. Verse 5, so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? Now, he knew, but he's getting inventory. Verse 6, and the guy said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. What did he do? He just reduced it, the debt that this guy had. It was an agricultural debt, and we don't know how he bartered and trade, but we do know this. Uh, 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 scholars say that this, this debt was about three years of wages. It was a very large debt. The manager says, brings in the debtor and says, well, let's just cut it in half. And if you pay out today, we're good. That'd be a big deal. Instead of paying on a note for three years, a year and a half, good to go. Then he said to another, 
And how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, he says, take your bill and write 80. We see this discount plan begin to go into place. Now just imagine for me, with me for a moment. Imagine an IRS worker who is given notice that he's going to be laid off and then who mailed 20 good friends large undeserved tax refund checks. Imagine a hospital administrator about to lose his job who reduced the bills of several prominent patients by several thousands of dollars. Or how about a just-fired contractor who changed a $5,000 home appliance order to just $500? Do you know what would happen in each one of those cases? They'd be making many new friends and probably being able to have a job offer as soon as they were done. This manager's pretty smart in the sense that he's preparing for his future. There's controversy tied around this parable because it looks dishonest. Some scholars have said, well, the discounts that he's giving is interest that he's reduced, or it is commissions that he charged. So if that was the case, then he'd be very honest but very smart. Nonetheless, we don't really know, but we, what we do know is found in verse 8. Jesus records the master's response. What is the master's response? Verse 8 says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons, and then Jesus kind of pipes in here and says, for the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. What's going on here? In my, in my assessment, what's going on here is there's opportunity. Let me talk to you about opportunity for a moment. The master is commending the opportunity that this individual took to use resources in a way that would prepare for the future. Our English word for opportunity comes from the Latin, and it means towards the port. It suggests a ship is taking advantage of the wind and the tide to safely arrive in the harbor. What's happening here is Jesus is maximizing and highlighting the very big importance for every disciple and follower of Jesus to be as savvy, to be as opportunistic as the worldly manager right here. He says, for, let's look back at that verse in, in 8b, for the sons of the world are more, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation that means the people that are non-believers, managers, whoever, doesn't matter, anybody uh, are more shrewd, they're savvy, they're opportunistic in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Who are the sons of light? Well, there's tons of biblical references that people that are walking towards Jesus, living for Jesus, loving Jesus, those are sons of light. What does it say in verse 9? And Jesus says this. He says, and I tell you, now, this is financial planning according to Jesus. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. What is unrighteous wealth? It's earthly money and possessions is what it is. He says, so when it fails, when your money, when your resources are done, you can't take your money with you to heaven. He says, when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So make friends. 
How do we make friends? We're going to get to that in just a moment. It looks like, I'll give you a hint, it looks like investing your resources in God's kingdom to impact people. But we're going to finish out the parable, this passage. Verse 10, he says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Jesus is highlighting character. He's highlighting responsibility. Whatever you have, be faithful in that. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in, in much. In recent, st- in recent uh, times when you're watching the news and the media, let me just tell you something, you know, particularly with politicians. If politicians are lying with their family and their friends, then they're lying to everybody else. If you find people at your workplace and you see them lying or conniving behind somebody's back, guess what? They're going to lie and connive behind your back too. Jesus is just bringing this point out that character is what matters. And then verse 11, he says, if then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, what is that earthly possessions is how I defined that earlier, who will entrust you to true riches? There's an implication here that Jesus is saying that the flip side is if you are faithful with the unrighteous wealth, meaning earthly possessions, then you will be entrusted with true riches in heaven. You say to me, is that even biblical? Absolutely it is. Just if you're a note taker, this isn't on your program, you might want to jot this down. In Luke chapter 12, verse 33, the Bible says that if you give, then there'll be treasures for you in heaven. What? Yeah. If you give here on earth towards God's kingdom, there'll be treasures for you in heaven. Luke 18, 22, the story of the rich young ruler Jesus tells the guy, very rich, very wealthy, he says, you need to sell all you have and give to the poor, and by doing so, you're going to have treasures in heaven. Then turning around in Mark chapter 10, verse 30, is one of my favorite promises, because I did this myself in my own family. It says that for all those who sell houses, leave their brothers and their sisters and their mother and their father, and give towards the kingdom, a hundredfold will be given to them in heaven. So what's going on here? I like to call it, I think you might have it there on your program, Jesus is going to back this thing up with what I call Jesus offers investment advice that's backed by heaven's FDIC. What is the FDIC? Uh, The FDIC is a federal deposit insurance, insurance corporation. Uh, It's an independent agency of the federal government that was created in 1933 in response to thousands of bank failures that occurred in the 1920s and the early 30s. Since the start of the FDIC insurance on January 1st, 1934, not not one single depositor has lost a single cent of insured funds as a result of a failure. So what does God offer? What does God offer us if we invest into the kingdom now? What does he offer us in heaven? I call it the FDIC. It's the Father's Deposit Incentive Co-op. The Father's Deposit Incentive Co-op. It's the Heavenly Father ensures that all deposits on earth towards kingdom causes will be paid out with dividends up to 10 to 100 times the initial deposit. Payable upon death to serve for a new life and eternity, it opens up, it, it's open to all believers of all ages, and its intent is to expand God's eternal kingdom on earth to win, especially lost people, so that they can find Christ. 
there's a promise that Jesus is making about, uh, about our wealth and resources and how to manage it and navigate it. Let's finish out some of these principles and then we'll get to the application. In verse 12, he says, And if you have not been faithful in if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Maybe the disciples that are listening to Jesus' teaching, maybe they're business guys, business gals. Maybe they're in management positions. Jesus didn't waste a story. He was incredibly uh, timely and truthful and open and honest. He was a masterful teacher, the best. It may be what he's trying to tell them that if they can't figure out how to be faithful with what they have, then how do they expect to get more? He's challenging them to be stewards, as we're going to learn. And then he's challenging them to think about money, wealth, and resources different. And by the way, the whole Christian life ought to view things totally upside down. Instead of greed, we're generous. Instead of retaliation, we seek reconciliation. We do things different. Verse 13, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And Jesus makes this big statement, you cannot serve God and money. Number one, how to become an excellent financial steward. I think that's what we're after. Steward means that you're stewarding something. You're taking care of something. Years ago, when my buddy was deployed overseas after the 9-11 incident, he was shipped off to Diego Garcia. He said, Ryan, you're my power of attorney, but we don't have any legal paperwork. If you go to jail, don't worry. I'll call the cops and we'll call the, the military and they'll get you out. I'm like, that's really reassuring. So I'm signing checks, paying bills, taking care of the car. And in fact, that's how I got Leslie to go on my fir the first date. I saw her in the college courtyard. I was walking around and my buddy was coming back from Diego Garcia just for a short little stint. We were going to hop in a car, go up to New York City, see Ground Zero. We were going to pray together, going to see his family in Jersey, and then he was going to fly back to Diego. And I said, Hey, uh, Leslie, she was really cute, really pretty. I knew about her. I just hadn't spent time with her. And I said, hey, Leslie, I'm Ryan, that guy you met at church the other day. Uh, uh, I was wondering if you could help me out today. So, uh, and she says, what are, you, what are you doing? I said, well, my buddy's got a car. He just went overseas. He's serving in the war and all, you know, war effort. We're going to support our troops, you know. And so uh, I just need some help. I got to get his car from A to B. Got to take care of his house. Could you, could you help me out this afternoon? And she's like, uh, I, I, I think I'm busy and I said, well, hey, listen, I'll buy you dinner. And, uh, and my buddy's coming back tomorrow. We just want to support our troops. I'm putting in that. And she says, okay, fine. So we went out. But what does that mean? Tom was coming back. Tom had put me in charge. I was a steward of his estate. I had to take care of it. I wanted his car clean. I wanted his apartment fixed up. I didn't want him to see all the pizza boxes I'd left in the trash cans for nights and nights. So I cleaned everything up. I got it all ready. That's what it looks like to be a steward. Number one, how to become an excellent financial steward, be generous. Invest generously in the lives of people. When Jesus talks about the, uh, stewardship, we've got to realize in, in all throughout the Gospels is that when we give, it makes a big difference. The story of the prodigal son or the story of the good Samaritan. The hero in the story is the Samaritan. And what does he do at the end of the story is that he's using his financial resources to help those that are in need. 
He becomes the hero. On and on throughout the Gospels, we see that generosity is incredibly important. Um, Why is it so important for North Valley? Why is it so important for North American churches? I'll tell you why. Because according to Lifeway Research, 98% of Christians do not evangelize. Let me say that again. According to Lifeway Research, 98% of Christians do not evangelize. Uh, They do not share about the forgiveness, the hope, the love of Jesus Christ, but 90-something percent of Christians in good Bible churches, Bible-centered churches, Jesus-centered churches that have dynamic programs going on, invite their friends to church, give faithfully and financially. For you at North Valley, if you're going to be a part of moving God's kingdom forward, to be an excellent steward, you want to be generous, investing generously into the lives of people. When I was in business school, I asked my dad, dad, what do you think I should do in my life? I could go the ministry route. I can open up a business. I'd opened up businesses before. He said, you're really good at doing that kind of stuff, son. But I will tell you this, the greatest investment in life that you'll ever, ever make is investing in the lives of people. When you give your time, your talent, and your treasure towards people, it makes an eternal difference. Jesus says, make friends by means of unrighteous wealth so that when you get to heaven, you're going to have a whole awesome reward, eternal dwellings, places to live. We'll talk about that in the heaven series more. I want to encourage you to learn of what biblical principles on giving look like. I've got that in your notes. I want to encourage you and challenge you to understand the tithe. The tithe is representative of all your income. Understand the tithe is uh, one-tenth of your income, and it's a, sacrif- it's, a, it's a symbolic gift towards the whole. We've got a tithing challenge online. Every time somebody has jumped into that tithing challenge, they've always reported back, man, it was amazing. We have people in our church that understand the tithe and the blessing that comes with the tithe. And every time I teach on it, they say, hey, if anybody, if you need help with anything, I want to help. I want a resource. I want to make sure believers understand the beauty and the importance of the tithe. When you give financially at North Valley, you need to know you're sustaining, strengthening ministries here. The general fund does that. We also um, have a, uh, the resource initiative. Many of you have given to that. That's sacrificial giving. That's giving above and beyond. And I just want to say a word real quick on the resource initiative. I want to show you what we're doing. The Serve Like Jesus resource initiative. This is a, an investment project predominantly that's going to benefit junior high, high school kids and kids. One third of our church is that. We're going to be the church that constantly invests in the younger generation so that we will have a future. I've got all sorts of friends and families that are part of dead and dying churches because a generation never passes down the vision. So I want to encourage you, if you're giving to the resource initiative, be faithful. Don't forget about our general fund, being generous. Jesus is stressing it. It's incredibly important. Lastly, on this be generous, here's what I want to tell you is because you guys have been faithful and generous uh, with our hope offering, uh, this uh, next week we're hosting a big uh, uh, meal and welcome to the neighborhood to all the firefighters right on the corner. Your hope offering does that. Um, So when you give financially to our church, it's making a difference. I met with Captain Jim down there, met his team, brought my my daughter in there. That's a state-of-the-art facility right there on uh, Joe Max. In I-17 right there. 
But let me tell you this on the community level, on the personal level. If you know of a family member in need with back-to-school needs this week, or you yourself are one, let us know. We have a hope offering that you guys have contributed towards in, in months past, and we want to meet that need. Every single one of the legitimate requests that have come into North Valley have been met because of your faithful giving. So let's do this as a church. Let's be generous, invest generously in the lives of people. Amen? Let's celebrate the work that God's doing in our church for a moment. On our resource initiative, just for a moment, you know, I want to tell you that there's the update is, is that we're going to be uh, starting more demo work interior. We're going to be getting a jackhammer in there, Lord willing, this week. And in the next couple of weeks, we're looking at bringing a framing team in. We are trying to uh, see how much we can do of, with volunteers. So if you have special trade skills, right on the bottom of your program, say, hey, I'm willing to volunteer. Here's my special trade. Okay, we need to get those kids into that building as quick as we can. Keep praying, keep being faithful in your giving towards the resource initiative. Uh, for those of you that have not yet given to the resource initiative, start with the general fund. That's point A. We got to maintain what we have. Um, number two, one, I think that Jesus teaches us something here. It's called be faithful. Be faithful, be faithful in the little things. You see that all throughout Scripture, being faithful in the little things is incredibly important. For example, you see the life of Joseph in Genesis, where he's, he's, a, he's a prisoner, and he's faithful in that position. He serves, and God elevates his status to being the prince of Egypt. Then you got a guy like David, who's a shepherd boy, who goes out into the field. He's a faithful young boy shepherd. He learns how to be a great shepherd. And then God uses him to be a shepherd king. Be faithful in the little things. I don't know what you're facing right now uh, with your, your things that you manage. But let me tell you a story. Suppose a man comes to his boss and he says, I know that I've not done my best job. I know I've overlooked some key details and mismanaged some things. But I believe I'm just not motivated. He goes on to say, I think if you gave me a promotion, I could prove to you what I'm really made of and deliver to you the best results. Imagine that. Somebody comes to his boss and says, if you just elevate my position, pay me a little bit more, I'll be a lot better. I'll do a lot better. Not only would that person not receive a promotion, but they would not be working there in a short period of time. Why is that? That's not how it works. The words of Jesus are still true. Be faithful in the little things. I don't know what exactly the little things look like in your life, but I do want to tell you that God uses everything for a purpose. I can recall how God taught me what, what it looked like to dream big and to work hard when I was at the rice ranch as a teenager. My dad would wake me up on, on Saturday mornings, and I remember when we bought the land in the country, it looked, like a, it looked like a massive forest. And he told me, son, this is where we're going to clear out pastures and put a fence. Over here, we're going to build a barn. We're going to build a road. We're going to have to dig a well. We're going to have to get electricity. I was like, who's going to do all this? And he's like, you and the boys. So for like 10 years, that's what we did, little by little. How did that apply to my life now? Because I remember the first day I put on my boots and I walked onto this campus and it was a wasteland. 
And I was with a couple of people, and they said, man, this place is overgrown. There's no chance we could ever restore this place. I'm like, you haven't been to the rice ranch. You should have seen what we did out there. I want to tell you something, friends. Be faithful in the little things and trust God for the bigger things. That's how it works. Whatever you're dealing with right now, just be faithful in that. Realize that today's trials are tomorrow's triumphs. Realize that the lesson that you're learning right now is preparation for whatever is ahead. Realize the, the, that the right now is the most important part that you steward so that you can trust God, walk with God in the then. I want to challenge you to be faithful, be faithful in the little things. Lastly, I want to challenge you to be a steward. That's what this is all about. Making the most of every opportunity. Realize that your time, your talent, your treasure, it all belongs to God. Steward wealth. Don't be a slave to it. 80% of our waking time is caught up in thinking about money. I want to challenge you to be very cautious. The Bible says that it's hard for a rich person to get to heaven. Why is that? It's because the power of money can really rot out our heart in love for Jesus Christ. Money needs to be used as a gift serving God's kingdom on earth. Here's what one person says about that passage about either serving God or serving money. He says, make money your God and it'll plague you like the devil. Jesus said, make money your servant and use it today's opportunities as investments in tomorrow's dividends. That's that heaven mindset, that's eternal mindset. Be a wise steward. There are souls to win. The Savior and our money can help get the job done. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that we would apply it and it would transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We're thankful and grateful for you speaking to this area about wealth and possessions. And I pray, God, we would just make a commitment today to do things differently. Father, if there's a neighbor nearby that needs help, would we reach out? Father, if there's a, a tugging on the heart to give and invest into kingdom work here at the church, I pray that that would happen. Father, I pray that we would use money to steward it and manage it for you, making the most of every single opportunity we've got. We thank you for the church. We thank you for our personal uh, family and our lives and the breath that we breathe. You own it all. May you grant us favor and blessing, security, and, and that we might prosper in all that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.